The long hair is gone. The passion remains. Kyle Turley, for a minute there, I would say he was sort of the poster child for the bad boy of the NFL. Maybe a modern-day Conrad Dober. The visual of him chucking the helmet. I think it was a Jets player. He's got the crazy blonde hair flying, says whatever he wants. Uh, And that same Kyle Turley, who was on the Saints, was a rival of the Rams, ended up coming to St. Louis and famously behind the reporter, hopped up and said, Mark Bulger's our quarterback. Uh, He explains that a little bit. It wasn't a shot at Kurt Warner. It was sort of a weird time to be in the Rams locker room because Warner was the Super Bowl hero, the two-time MVP, and yet Mark Bulger was taken over as the team's QB. And Turley explains that. What it was like playing for Mike Ditka and then later working with Mike Ditka with some of the gridiron greats, helping those who had retired from the NFL, were having health problems. Turley was always one who was willing to take on the league, uh, poke the bear, which I know folks in St. Louis, considering the current lawsuit going on, uh, happy that anybody at any time was willing to challenge the NFL. Kyle Turley also fell out of favor with Mike Martz. Just a fascinating, interesting guy. We became friends uh, during his time in St. Louis, have kept in touch. He was living in California, has long been a proponent of CBD, medical marijuana. And he's like, dude, it's not just people sitting around getting high. There's a lot of benefits here. And some of that had to do with how he was, what he would tell you, sort of forced a bunch of pain pills to deal with all of his football injuries. And then you get hooked on those pain pills. And, and he really goes beyond the NFL world and says current day America, just dependency on these pills and the opioid problems we're having all over the place. Uh, He's an interesting spokesperson on all of this because he's been through it. So Kyle Turley is the guest on the Kilcoin Conversation. We taped this a little while back and then things kept coming up. Uh, Blues segments, Cardinals segments, Cardinals news. But I always enjoy my time with Kyle. He uh, tells it like it is, doesn't care who he may or may not offend. Um, lives life by his own rules, that is for sure. But some of, the th- some of these topics, even uh, the Mike Martz, the Kurt Warner, he and I had never really gotten into all of that. So hopefully you will enjoy it. As always, it's presented by Triad Bank, St. Louis-based bank since 2005. Five-star rated bank. If you need a car loan, a home loan, make sure you check out the fine folks at Triad Bank in Frontenac right there on Clayton Road. Easy to get to because it's right by Highway 40. And Lindbergh. So you get right off the highway, you'll find my good friends at Triad Bank. The best in the bricks. That slogan is catchy, but it's also true. B and G Tuck Pointing can take that chimney, garage, the entire home, the business, if it's brick, make it look new again. That's what they do at B and G Tuck Pointing. 363-0525. The phone number to call. Get a free estimate. 314-363-0525. Or their website, BG. TuckPointing.com. See some of the work that they've done. They also do foundation repair, waterproofing, all things bricks and home. They've got you covered. BG, TuckPointing.com. Marie de Villa, Senior Living, corner of Clayton and Wideman Road, Villa Estates, Assisted Living, whatever type of retirement living you're looking for, they have it at Marie de Villa. Take a virtual tour at MarieDeVilla.com. Since 1960, like I said many times, Red Shane needs to live there. He was on the board. It's just a beautiful spot in West County, 60-acre campus, Marie de Villa. Also, Appliance Discounters, theappliancediscounters.com is where you can begin the search or stop by any of their showrooms throughout the area. And what we always recommend, check out the merchandise online. Go into the search engine, and you can just type it in right there. We're talking about washer, dryer, stove, refrigerator, But if you're looking for any of those appliances, I always recommend General Electric. Get a GE rebate. When it's GE, you know you're getting the best. Years and years of making the best appliances and throwing the rebate. You know you're getting a great deal already at appliance discounters. And because they've got the inventory, they can get it delivered to you quickly. Theappliancediscounters.com. Their savings are your savings. And here it is, my conversation with Kyle Turley. Kyle, I want to start with this. Last time I talked to you, you were in Cali, and now you're back in Nashville. You'd lived in Nashville for a while. Tell me about the move. Yeah. Well, we we lived here 
Uh, post-career 07, uh, end of 06 season, uh, we came out here. Um, I thought I was done with football in 06 in my first year comeback with the Chiefs. Uh, it was a painful year. And uh, I, 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 I didn't think I was coming back. So we've moved out here. My wife's from West Tennessee. Um, and we moved back here. Uh, found a beautiful home. You know, I, I had no idea. I, I was in New Orleans. I was in St. Louis, Kansas City. I thought the South, especially, you know, I mean, my wife's town where she's from in Tennessee and West Tennessee is um, real small. And the area and the terrain is just, you know, flat. Uh, so I thought that that's what Nashville would be. But when I came here, it's not. It's beautiful. Rolling hills. You know, it's the foothills of the Smokies. So um, it, it's uh, a beautiful place to live. And, and obviously, you know, raising a family, things like that, that we were just about to get into. Um, you know, we hadn't started that process yet. And so that that was on our minds as to where we wanted to raise a family. And uh, when I saw this place, when she brought me out here, when she said, hey, come try Nashville, see what you think. Um, I, I was in. Um, unfortunately, that that football career caught up with me and all those injuries and uh, forced us out of uh, Nashville seven years ago and back to California. And so in the music scene, was it part of it when you were in Nashville? Was it a little bit because of music? Well, just m music was always a part of my life. I mean, even when I was there in St. Louis, um, you know, we had the benefit concerts that we would do over there at the Maristar. And, um, you know, every training camp, I'd be getting a room full of music equipment, uh, you know, to rock out with everybody and uh, see who uh, else on the team was a musician. And you'd always find a, a, a person for every instrument, you know? So uh, music was always a part of my life. And then, you know, Nashville, uh, done with football, I had to figure something out to do with my time and, um, you know, riding a tractor. Uh, I already did that when I, uh, up until I was 10 out West <laughs> living on a farm. So uh, I, I knew, I knew how that was. I didn't have a desire to put in all that hard work out in the field outside of, you know, get my yard put together and little projects. So, uh, you know, I, I had to do something when I was here and music obviously was, uh, was, the, was right in front of me. Uh, I started going around all the, uh, from the Bluebird to Leaper's Fork and everywhere and Puckets and uh, all the places that people go out here to see live music and these songwriter things where you just, uh, you know, you're sitting there with a guitar playing songs with Elvis Costello. <laughs> like it doesn't happen anywhere else, you know. Yeah, I heard a recent podcast. So Chris Long, former Rams player, has gotten really into podcasting and he had a long form interview with Ricky Williams and he's talking about everything he went through and sort of social anxiety and how kind of the pot thing got mislabeled. And it was really interesting. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, you guys would have been teammates in New Orleans. And I thought the similarity would be that the league kind of likes to put everybody into a box and you're just supposed to fall in line. And if you're really a unique person or have some personality or maybe you're just have a different way of thinking, like the league doesn't necessarily allow for that, or at least it didn't then. Is that, do you see any similarities there? Um, yeah, and yet they put us together. <laughs> you know, we just, uh, I've, I've uniquely reconnected with so many ex-teammates that, you know, you can say there's uh, a lot to say for that. And also that they wanted these things that are happening right now to happen um you know you know in a way uh they do they don't you know from being told that kyle we really like what you're doing with mike ditka and the gridiron greats you know to kyle thank you for you know informing us enlightening us on this plant uh you know and th these are words coming from <laughs> the top you know and so um i don't know man i've got a different perspective on life now being a bit older and uh stepping back a little bit and having that opportunity to uh take those glasses off of being in the nfl you know you've you started it off you know the new life after the nfl you guys have had to do that as a media in st louis you know um and find new paths uh for your purpose and i i, I just know that's why i'm here do you feel vindicated in any way that you know marijuana especially medical marijuana it's become mainstream even cannabis use has become very mainstream. 
and maybe 10 years ago, it still had the stigma attached. And you were saying, listen, for guys, especially who had had severe injuries or brain injuries. I mean, you were an advocate before it was popular. Do you feel that you won the war in any way? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, the trains left the station. <laughs> it, it, it's going and federal legalization is about to happen. So, you know, all the states, I'm not, I'm back in Tennessee now uh, to get my kids back in school and live an American life uh, while we can, I guess, you know, <laughs> for the time being, I was just out in California because all my businesses wasn't really a good time for me to move. Um, you know, I just started two companies out there in cannabis and, you know, fought for all this licensing and all these city council meetings with my partner. And, you know, I've got a couple brands in the space out there that are doing really well and keep me busy. I'm on the airplane going back and forth, but had to move back here to Tennessee. And uh, the irony of that is I just got off the phone right, 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 right before I answered your call. Uh, I just got off the phone with the, you know, the county sheriff uh, because, you know, I reached out because I'm, I'm wanting to talk to him about how, how is he perceiving this? Um, you know, as a medical patient, being up front 100% and respecting that he'll enforce the law and I'll have to be an outlaw in some ways, but that these things are already known that he's representing to me that uh, medical is going to happen here in Tennessee within the next two years. And obviously federal legalization is going to occur here before that. Uh, so, you know, as he also, you know, acknowledged. And so this is something I think that's, you know, down the road and, and one of those issues that they really uh, only care about when it links the, it to other bad things. And, you know, still with uh, the situation in America with majority states uh, just kind of in it, um, not full recreational, even California, unbelievably restrictive. Uh, you, you wouldn't believe how restrictive over 80% of cities are under banned status from participating in the legal cannabis markets. Um, very backwards. And, uh, while you have those things exist and states like Tennessee, uh, that, um, you know, are not uh, allowing it still, or, you know, being the last flag, I guess. And then, you know, other states right next to them, Virginia, just completely legalizing uh, recreational cannabis without a retail opportunity and people providing that you're just encouraging the black market like never before. And all my friends that, you know, did it and, <laughs> and spent plenty of time in prison are not afraid and are doing it again and making millions. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's the writing on the wall kind of thing here where everybody's just kind of, I think, if, you, if you're not attached to something really bad with it, then people understand that, that this is something helping a lot of people. And when you see professional athletes that say, I've not taken one pharmaceutical in seven years, not an aspirin or an Aleve, uh, I've been diagnosed with uh, stage two progressive dementia three years ago. So, you know, I recognize the cognitive issues, uh, as does my family and they can all attest as well as I do still to this day that cannabis is the answer. So how is your health these days? How are you feeling? Um, healthy. I mean, I, I've not gotten sick. I, I feel I had the COVID. I lost the taste and smell. I was down for about a week or two, but every year you get something like that, that kind of puts you down a bit. I've not had one problem coming out of it and that's through using cannabis. Uh, um, and that goes down to my family. Um, you know, CBD, I started my CBD company years ago in the beginning of this whole conversation as I discovered it myself and I have all my family on it and not one person in my family's died of this. And, you know, they're, you know, address it with these things constantly and injury and illness and, from viruses to bumps and bruises. And it's, it's proven over and again, uh, the science of it. Um, and, and that's the, the true, you know, crime in it all is the medical community really not acknowledging what this is really about. And this is not about this plant, this wacky weed and, you know, crazy madness here with the reefer madness people want to continue to perpetuate. This is, this is a, what it speaks to is a, the conversation that is being kept from us all. And that's how our human health is uh, supposed to operate and what we're made of. And what we're made of, they've acknowledged is water, right? And, and a little bit of uh, other elements. And the one thing they leave out is that we're also made of these cannabinoids. 
and this system that operates our entire being and body and around the world in many countries that have researched cannabis and been funded by our own government, including Israel, have acknowledged the endogenous cannabinoid system as the number one regulatory system in the human body. And so as you sit there and everybody and all your listeners sit there and go, wait, what is it you're saying? The, my entire body operates on cannabinoids? Yes. And that's the truth. And that's what they're keeping from us all. They could pull it straight out of you, right from your veins. They could pull it out of your, your body, just like mine. And these pharmaceutical companies are dead set on trying to create synthetic cannabinoids their number one focus right now and drugs like Regeneron and all these others that are out here now and all these things that people are addressing uh, cannabis with, with these pharmaceuticals that these companies are coming out with uh, have cocktails with all of these synthetic cannabinoids in them. And you're right. There is sort of this still stereotypical, get your pot. You got a surfboard and long hair and right on, man, <laughs> as, as opposed yeah, to. Yeah, Sorry. I don't have that. I don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, the hair has gone, but the but that stereotype does exist where it's like surfboards, California, right on, man, smoke and have a toke and take a nap. And as opposed to the medical value of it all, is is the pushback? Do you think it's the pill business? The the, the you say pharmaceuticals, but everyone's got their pills, and they, and and the big companies don't want that to go away, do they? Well, they're drug dealers at the end of the day. I understand this well. People who've been addicted to opiates understand this very well, um, that these people are drug dealers. And I've been in that world uh, since I was a young kid growing up in Southern California. All my friends were underground drug dealers and uh, growing up a surf and skateboard kid. Um, So I understand what these people are up to and (laughs) why they're doing it. They're doing it for money. You don't kill 13 million people and for a good reason right the Sackler family one family responsible for oxycotton killed 13 million people a Jewish family mind you who likely had people lost in the Holocaust so these are clearly people who have chosen to choose money over providing something to people of benefit. All of these drugs I was on masked everything that I was experiencing, did not heal any of it, not one. Uh, I have replaced every one of those medications with a plant that I'm growing in my backyard here. Did you get addicted? (laughs) And people don't realize you were post-football because of the pain, the injuries, you were prescribed medication, right? And then found yourself addicted? 100%. That's how it happens. It only takes one. They keep saying this now still. Well, they really backed off on the opiate stuff, Kyle. They're really doing a good job in the locker room, they tell me. Um, You know, you can't just go get a bottle of pills anymore. I'm like, it only takes one. You guys are not getting it, okay? It only takes one experience, one injection of heroin. Why do you think that's different from Oxycontin? It's not. It is the same thing. Johnson & Johnson just settled a few years ago a billion-dollar lawsuit because they got caught smuggling opium in from Australia to America to put in our opiates through a company called Naramco. These companies are the companies that supply all of the drugs, and they're responsible for these things. And they have opium and cocaine and all these other things going into all these other drugs. And they know it because they need these people to get addicted. They are drug dealers. That is all they are. I've replaced every medication with a plant. Uh, And so has Ricky. So has Jim McMahon, Evan Britton, um, and on and on down the line of all the guys that we are growing in our community, especially the sports community. And it is going to be... Uh, you know, a group of people that'll have to be reckoned with because you know what? We've also found that this has given us our life back and we've put that energy into all these creative ways that actually are doing really well. 
And uh, we're all involved in businesses from my companies and NeuroXPF, CBD, Revenant, MJ just came out with that line. We're crushing it all across the state of California in all the shops now. Uh, Ricky just started his brand, Heisman, um, you know, H-I-G-H. And, uh, you know, th th these, are, these are things that are helping people and everybody's having an awesome experience being a part of. And a very minimal side of that is what people think it is. Um, you know, just at a huge convention in Northern California, didn't have a problem knowing that I was going to San Francisco and I'd be dealing with all this madness with the masks and vaccines and whatnot. And our, this, the cannabis community still showed out um, to a you know stellar event and, and nobody, nobody's dealing with any of this because we understand what human health is. It's not about getting high. I couldn't help but notice, uh, you know, one of your email address had a little bit of a reference in there to a flying helmet here or there. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is the guy who has got a sense of humor, obviously. And I'm just thinking, I laugh when I saw it. Uh, were you always outspoken? Were you always kind of emotional? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've always stood up to bullies. That's one thing I can say. Um, my entire life has been kind of, I guess, around that. They wrote a whole huge feature article after I threw the helmet to try and, you know, break down my psyche. Where, what, what's Kyle thinking? What's going on with this guy? Why is he doing this, right? Well, they, they leave out CTE, and, of course, they don't want to talk about that. So they go back to, you know, what makes up a person who doesn't, when, doesn't have the ability to control themselves um, you know, and their responses to these moments that continue to present themselves to everybody in life where you either fight or flight. And um, I'm a fighter, you know, I mean, I see situations like this that are truly life changing. I can honestly say that cannabis saved my life, period. I'm here for this. This is my purpose uh, because it has saved me and has saved so many other people, you know, down to my daughter who just got diagnosed with type one diabetes and was sitting in a, uh, uh, an A1C that was like off the charts that would have killed anybody. The doctor said, uh, five to 600 count blood sugar level for over a month. They said, we didn't know what was going on with her. And then finally we, we uh, doctor said, you got to go to the emergency room. And we had the shock of knowing and understanding our daughter's about to die, but didn't and went through every scenario that these doctors explained to us of that. This should have it been her life she should have been in a coma for sure she and she these kids that have this don't make it as bad as she was and they said what are you doing with her and we told them and we always tell them we give her cbd every day and they said we're hearing a lot about that and these doctors continue to give that backhanded you know acknowledgement to it uh from them to you know the the nfl i mean I spoke to those people. They invited me to come talk to them. I gave a PowerPoint presentation to the entire medical board of the NFL, uh, top the Marina Del Rey Marriott, looking over all of Los Angeles. And that's why they stopped testing players. But they're still slow rolling it and backhanding it. They got a guy in their board that's a reefer madness kind of, I'm for cannabis, but we've got to wait and know more about the science of, you know, something that's been around since, 3000 BC healing people and not killed anyone period. Hey, it's insane. And you mentioned, I can't, I can't, how, how does Kyle Turley not throw that helmet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, well, all these people out here being, you know, oppressed and uh, made to look like a bunch of stoners and hippies. I'm in the gym every day. And now I'm coaching. I got guys I'm coaching the NFL, putting guys in college. I've started now two multi-million dollar companies. Uh, my marriage, I'm still here in my house for God's sake. <laughs> and, you know, I, that's people, you know, our community, if you could, I mean, let's go over it. You, you know the stories. Let's go over this last year of football dealing with CTE. Mass murder, suicide, overdose multiples how many kids this year have died in youth football martin 15 15 families have lost a child 
because of the sport of football and we're masking children in classrooms, putting vaccines in people for 99.9% survivable viruses. That's like telling the greatest defense in the NFL history to just go block the water boy on when the quarterback snaps the ball. We're, 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 we're clearly living in insane times. And, uh, I, are the high uh, school kids dying? You mean because they got CTE or they acted out because of CTE? No, oh, there's then those suicides uh, as well that have occurred that you can tack on to it of all the youth football players and college football players and NFL football players and semi-pro football players that have committed suicide this last year to the youth football players, which is a statistic that has ran since Pop Warner was created, that 15 to 20 kids die every year in youth football from traumatic brain injuries. And another 15 to 20 kids, youth football only, it doesn't happen because we know the science, the science behind the brain, and that is developing in youth. And that's why Bennett O'Malo calls it child abuse, because you're willingly putting a child into a situation where they're receiving a disease that is very progressive and very damaging in CTE. It has been shown through the studies. I've been a part of myself. And we've talked about it other times. And the NFL is keeping this information from people. 100%. They're denying me the opportunity to see my brain scans from a, a study I was a part of back at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital, um, funded by the NFL. Um, over 10 football players were inducted in the study. They produced a, a paper on it, printed it in the National Institute of Health website uh, about this serum that they can inject into uh, people and light up CTE in a living brain and they can see it. And those doctors sat me down and they told me straight to my face that they can see it. And they know that anyone and everyone that's played this game has this disease at a certain degree. And when I asked them, I said, well, how old's my brain then? Cause they obviously did the study uh, on people other than football players because they extracted us from it and put everybody else's in the, the paper that they produce on this serum called F18. Look it up. Google F18 uh, serum. I got injected with that on two different doctor's visits. Messed me up for two weeks after each one because the dye that they is so serious. It's radioactive material. It's, as they told me, the equivalent of walking around the earth for nine years. I did that, injected myself with that thing twice. These guys know that I have this disease. They know the diagnosis these guys have uh, given me is real and that I'd be in a home right now if it wasn't for this plant. So, you know, What's the uh, I've got my reasons. What do you think the football solution is, though? Like for kids, just no tackling? I mean, do you think football needs to go away? What's the answer? Cannabis. That's the answer. It's a neuroprotectant. There are unbelievable studies that show, we can't stop being Americans. If people want to participate in riding ski, I grew up a surfboard, skateboard kid. I'm hitting my head all the time. Uh, I, get, I could have got CT from any number one of these things I did growing up, being a human, running around this world. Okay, It's not restrictive to only football players. Uh, I can, uh, I've given a lot of people peace, including families that, uh, I mean, you talk about, I'm working on a deal right now. We're, we're going to make a whole series uh, like American Horror Story on how many guys from playing football are in prison for murder and all these other things where you give these people an understanding of what has happened to them from people that are homeless on the street to NFL football players. Uh, you ask them, was there ever an opportunity where you can say to me right now that you hit your head? And had a severe head injury. And every one of them has. Yeah, I went through my my uh, my wife's uh, uncle uh, went out of nowhere, just lost his, his mind, everything and tried to kill himself. A wife, two kids, beautiful family, money, everything. Uh, tried to kill himself. Uh, whatever happened to him? What happened to Bob? Did anything happen uh, to my father in law? You know, I asked him this question. He said, yeah, Bob went right through the front windshield of my car on my bachelor night. We hit a tree. And then I run into a homeless kid out there getting a tattoo and he's coming in asking for water in California and he's rambling around. He's telling he's drugged out of his mind. I say, hold on a second, man. You look, you, I'm just going to ask you, did you ever have a head injury when you were growing up or anything recent or 
just something come off the top of your head. You had a severe head injury. He said, why did you ask me that? I'm like, because I uh, just tell me. And he said, I got hit in the head with a baseball bat in Little League. Um, these things are real. They're happening to everybody. Cannabis is the answer. I, I don't know how much more I can you know, speak about it in the cognitive things that is resolved in me where I was experiencing vertigo constantly, daily, uh, losing my mind all the time. Still am. Uh, and this is the answer. And the science behind this as a neuroprotectant, the government has a patent on it as such. They own a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants. There's study after study that those who have cannabis in their systems are over and above likely to survive a traumatic brain injury and not need surgery, not going to coma. I've given CBD to people who have been in comas that the doctors have told their families that they're going to pull the plug or they need to decide to because they're not waking up and they're going to be a vegetable for life if they do. Literally woke those people up in 30 minutes with putting CBD under their tongue in a coma because it absorbs through MCT oil and these things that we use to help get things into people's systems rapidly. You don't have to smoke it. doesn't have to be about THC or getting high or any of these other things. And again, it's about what's inside of you and your body operating that they could totally resolve. You know, we can go to stem cells after I resolve cannabis and that's where I'm headed because I put my two kids uh, umbilical cords with a company called cord blood registry, which is owned and operated by a guy who went to Washington state university. And I reached out to because of my friend, Steve Gleason sitting in an unbelievable situation who just spoke in front of the Louisiana state legislature and explained to them that he would be a dead man long time ago if it wasn't for cannabis and that cannabis is the one thing that's kept him from using these deadly opiates and drugs to deal with that disease on top of everything else. Uh, I mean, you know, we're the, we're the, we are, that's why I call this new company. I started Revenant. We're the Revenant. We're getting our lives back. These people can't take it from us and uh, we're doing nothing wrong. Uh, these things are known by the science community. These other drug cartels are very powerful people. They're funded by very powerful sources and I guess God put us here <laughs> to go after him. So that's what we're doing. How about a couple of football thoughts? You've had, you know, fascinating career. I'm thinking San Diego State, even you come out, you're the seventh overall pick. You would have been a few years after Marshall. Did you guys, was Marshall Falk like a junior when you got there? Would you, did you have a year together? Yeah. Yeah. It was his last year. Um, so I, I redshirted, uh, and so I was on the scout team, and so I got to block for him uh, or play defense against him when the, you know, number one offense was needing us to throw around. And um, uh, so I was going defense and offense in the scout team, figuring out what I'm going to do and what position I'm going to play. And then he declared early for the draft. Um, and so, you know, that disrupted the whole program. And, uh, I, you know, we all started over after that. Uh, Al Luganville got fired uh, right after Marshall declared for the draft. And um, it was really cool to come back to St. Louis and get traded up there and, and be able to play with him and Oz, you know. And, uh, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was awesome to finally be able to block for Marshall. You know, he was my inspiration. That was when I got to San Diego State. I played one year of high school football. I got a scholarship. Um, you know, again, I grew up surfing and skating, and I just decided I'm going to commit myself. I committed to wrestling. That was my sport. I probably could have went to college at that. I had people looking at me, but I grew up in a real poor town in Moreno Valley, California, out in the valley, you know, blue-collar my dad's a truck driver, five kids. We didn't have nothing. I know what a welfare Christmas is. And, um, you know, so I was going to get a job and I just decided to throw my dart and it landed on the bullseye, man. And, and, uh, when I got to San Diego state, um, I saw this little guy, everybody was talking about Marshall Falk. <laughs> I mean, they, his nickname was huggy bear. Uh, you know, he never worked out. I don't think he ever lifted a weight and probably still hasn't. And it's the most amazing athlete anybody I could think of ever I've ever played with. Um, and the smartest guy on the football field. And, and, and I, I just looked at this little guy everybody's talking about when I got there, I'm like, are you kidding me? No way. I'm like, this is it. I'm like, this is my calling. I'm going, 
You know, nothing's going to stop. This guy can come out of San Diego State and be a first-round draft pick. I can come out of San Diego State and be a first-round draft pick. That was my whole motivation at San Diego State because, uh, you know, I saw what that was like because of Marshall. And I was like, man, I want that. <laughs> we we did his Sunday night show for a couple of years. He would come in and he's got a bag of McDonald's, like two Big Macs, two fries. <laughs> and I said, right. dude, I said, how are you yeah. eating that? And he goes, you score five touchdowns today? Then don't worry about it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. and how about Mike Ditka? Did you guys hit it off? <laughs> did you, did Ditka, I mean, were you and Ditka, did you hit it off immediately or did it take a while? No, no, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was just full respect on my end. Um, it's Mike Ditka, of course. And, you know, I was a respectful kid, blue collar kid uh, from a, a poor background. So, you know, the opportunity that he gave me, uh, I did everything I could to give it back to him, you know, and, and I did, you know, the, the, but he didn't have the rest of the coaching staff there to really benefit us. And then we just went through a turnstile of quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I've I played with everybody, I think, that ever played quarterback for any team in the late 90s <laughs> in New Orleans for two years. Um, we had everybody come through there and, um, I mean, Mark Bolger and I were there, uh, that well, Hazlitt brought him in. Um, but, uh, Dicker was a great guy, great man, you know, one of those guys that literally, you know, like you and I, and you could just call him still to this day and he's going to pick up the phone, you know, send them a message. He'll get back to you. Um, uh, just one of those special guys. I mean, I, I, I saw the things that he did for people. He was a hard ass. He did everything hundred miles an hour, uh, from spending money to coaching and, you know, playing the game. Um, so it was impressive and, and awe, you know, I was just in awe every day of I'm playing football for Mike Dicka, you know, no matter how bad it was, no matter how I didn't like what he said, even in the later parts of my career where he was an analyst and I was in Kansas city. And one of the coaches from Kansas city said, Kyle, did you hear what Mike said about you? I think he was trying to get me fired up, you know, for the game that he's, he's he said, you're a right tackle, not a left tackle. Cause Willie Rofe retired right before the season. And I got thrown in the fire. Kyle, can you help us out? I'm like, oh. I just came off this back injury and earned a spot as a backup tight end here. I'm supposed to sit behind Tony Gonzalez and Jason Dunn, maybe getting 10 snaps a game. And uh, now I'm going to play 70 at left tackle, you know? So Mike, you know, that's what he's representing to the people, right? He knows my story. And, um, you know, that was the catalyst though, that, that drove me to then go into what more Mike was saying about retired players. And, and then I got involved and gave him a game check uh, right after, you know, I had coaches telling me he's, you know, dogging me on the TV, you know, I'm like, no, I know that dude cares about me. That's, that's what, that's why he says anything about me. And that's been the case, you know, and the whole, the whole, the whole relationship has been uh, real special. And right after Ditka, another former player, Another kind of a hard-ass player was Hazlitt. And then it just kind of took off. And for a couple of years there, the Saints were really good and the Rams were really good. And Hazlitt and Martz, like hated each other. At least we thought they did. How, how fun was that <laughs> intensity of that rivalry? It was awesome. It was an awesome rivalry. Um, we hated each other. It was just a battle royal every game. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, that was what won us in the first playoff game in team history was and we were playing the Rams. And we couldn't lose that one. <laughs> you know, it was in our house. So um, uh, it, it was a, one of those real good rivalries that I thought helped, you know, St. Louis. I didn't understand why they got rid of that one because people could travel from New Orleans, uh, you know, up there. And um, we were developing a, a, a great, uh, you know, back and forth kind of thing there you know, just I-55, right, and um, straight down for everybody. And it, it was kind of like becoming a college football experience between our, our rivalries, which was awesome. And, um, you know, we were bo what, both in the NFC West or something like that. Um, and, and uh, you know, I thought they should have, you know, continued that. Uh, and that would have helped uh, the Rams stay in St. Louis more, you know, playing teams like that. I don't know. It was awesome, though. It has, it has ever talked shit about March, like in the meetings during the week and kind of to get you fired. Do these guys think they're better than us and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. And then and then the uh, Rams played the Super Bowl, you know, down there in New Orleans and uh, they were using our facility. 
and and Hazlitt was like, uh, I think he said something to me like, Kyle, I said something to Mike Martz and, you know, like reached out to him and, and told him, hey, anything you need, this, that and the other, uh, love to, you know, you know, do anything for you, help you guys out while you're down here. And, and, and he was just a real jerk to me, you know, or something. It was I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was just the real. Uh, that's why I was surprised that they traded for me. You know, I was surprised that they they were <laughs> they wanted me up there. But as we now know, it, I, I, in some ways, I think was brought there to get rid of Mike uh, uh, in, you know, roundabout. That's the way it played out, at least. Well, and you got there too to St. Louis and the Rams were still really good that first year. You're a playoff team, a division winner. And then the whole that, that was kind of in the transition of Bolger, Warner, and you were there, and you famously said, "This is our quarterback." I think it was an ESPN post game yeah. interview or something. Yeah. Was was it ever awkward for guys in the room with Bolger and Kurt both there? Yeah, it was real awkward. You know, um, I didn't appreciate it. Neither did any of the guys. We all knew that Kurt, you know, was coming back from injury, and we all knew how to deal with that. And that that's not the way to deal with it is to sit on the bench, you know, and let somebody else get in there. It was the beginning of the season, and Kurt had the, uh, you know. That's his job, and he didn't lose it. Uh, and I think there was a lot of play calling going on that, you know, didn't really go his way. Uh, and I think we it was we were playing the Giants uh, up in New York, and I kicked the crap out of Michael Strahan. I destroyed Michael Strahan that game. I got because when I played with the Saints, he he kind of got me. Uh, we played the first game back after 9-11, and uh, I'm going against Strahan, and I was just fired up. It was a war, you know, uh, you know, all the cameras around, Mel Torme singing the national anthem, those first responders, everywhere. the environment was electric, you know. I was just pacing the sidelines, just mad-dogging him, like, we're going to war today. You know, he's the best in the league. I, I was trying to make a name for myself and had a great game against him. Uh, we lost ultimately, uh, like we did with the Rams up there, but, um, you know, got some, but he, he definitely got, got me uh, a couple of times. And I, you know, had those, uh, those, you know, as an offensive lineman, when somebody gets you, you know, uh, it, it's rare uh, when they get sacks and all these things. And, and so you don't forget those. And then the next time you play them, you, you do your best to take that out on them. And that was my opportunity. And so I prepared so heavily for that game. I knew I'm going, you know, I got Kurt Warner behind me. Uh, I'm here with the Rams. Like I've got to show up and um, destroyed Michael Strahan, threw him around like a rag doll. You know, he still to this day tells me to my face uh, that you know, I'm the, you know, the best guy he played against because that game. And I was so ready to, do my job for Kurt and the rest of the team. And, and I was out there and I could tell, you know, we weren't calling the right place. And when you can destroy a guy like Michael Strahan and make him quit, quit, I think in the half, second half, uh, you know, coach took him out and I was going against backups the rest of the game. And you got a guy like Kurt Warner back there. You're not calling the right damn plays at the end of the day. If I'm owning Michael Strahan and you got, do I even need to, do we need a question what was going on on the other side of the line with Big O? <laughs> no. And the interior, guys, they weren't getting to him. They weren't getting to him. We, we, we were giving him plenty of time, and uh, I, I could clearly see that there was a personal issue going on. And then when it happened, it happened. And then football, you've got to move on. And, you know, Mark's our guy, and he was a young guy, you know, and I knew the talent that kid had from being with him in New Orleans. Hazlitt brought him in. Um, and so, you know, he needed that support and as a lineman, that's my job. And so when I was running off the field there and uh, they're interviewing, I can't remember who it was interviewing them and, uh, you know, just let everybody know, this is our guy. Did you see him play today? You know, this is our quarterback right here. Look at him, you know, and people took that the wrong way. And, uh, you know, in some ways that, Oh, uh, who's this new guy coming in and, you know, what we've done here. You know, I think a lot of that animosity from the rivalry um, ruffled a few feathers and made people think I wasn't supportive of Kurt, you know, and that, and that was unfortunate, you know, cause I was, I was really prepared to win another Super Bowl for that, you know, with that guy and, and be, and be, uh, and, and, and help him do his job. 
uh, I could clearly see that that wasn't being allotted to him. Was it a soap opera at Rams Park? Is it more than any other NFL? Or is every team a little bit dysfunctional? Yeah, especially when you get into the management side of it. Um, you had Jay Sigmund, Charlie Army, and then Mike uh, Martz. And uh, they were all, you know, it's business. And I understand that now out in the real world as a business guy and you, you got to make decisions and then all that pressure and you can't just be the guy that all the guys said Mike Mars was the greatest coach until he became a head coach he always fought for the players he always helped the guys took care of the guys this that, and the other and uh, that as the years went by I noticed that with a lot of coaches you, you're under a lot of pressure being a head coach and and then that scenario there uh it was very clear that I mean in my injury situation I was in direct communication with Jay Zygmunt constantly uh, about my back injury and rehab and what was going on. Mike Mars was a coach who didn't want injured players around. And so made us sit in the stands, um, you know, be away from the team. Didn't want anybody around if you were injured. Um, and that was really unfortunate because I had a lot to give the guys that were backing me up and they needed my help and uh, could have helped those guys on the sideline, but he wouldn't allow me to. So I left and I went and got rehab in LA and um, the approach that those people took was to take a bunch of weight off me and, you know, redevelop my core strength and all these things uh, that ultimately got me back to football without another back surgery. And, you know, my back's, horrible now um because i didn't go get that other back surgery but you know i i knew i could push through if i learned a few new things and how to get myself back and core strength was non-existent when i was in college all we do is power lift and squat 600 pounds and bench press 600 pounds and you know throw 600 pounds everywhere it's like there's nobody on the field that weighs 600 pounds i don't <laughs> a couple guys tried to be that big you know but um i learned about core strength and all those things and that got me back i, I played 2006 season at 270 pounds at left tackle and i had eight games under my belt that were very good games. I was player of the game for the team a couple times, uh, destroying guys out there. Cause I, I was more powerful, explosive, all these things I learned that, you know, being away from the team and listening to those idiots that were, it got me into that situation in the first place by telling me, Oh, all that hip pain and leg pain is, you know, let's just shoot it up with cortisone. That'll fix it. And we'll figure it out after the season. Well, it's probably just a herniated or a bulging disc that I could have mended and maybe taken off a week or two, um, you know, to let it relax a bit more. And it maybe not would have herniated, you know, I don't know, but I know I could have dealt with that a lot differently and they could have as well. And he didn't like where I went and got my second opinions and got involved in it personally. Uh, and then started spouting off the media and, I went to Jay Zygmunt and I was like, hey, man, well, why is this happening? Can you please go with me to Mike and sit down and say what tell him that, you know, what's going on with me? And, you know, because him and my agent were friends and he knew everything that was going on with me. Mike didn't know anything. And so it became this thing, I think, between he and I that he was associating me with Jay Zygmunt and they were at it and. Uh, I got pulled into it. You know, I was a young man. I had no right being pulled into that. Those guys completely used that against me to get me out of there. Ultimately, for Mike Martz, that was his desire. You know, I don't know how you, you sit there and tell a guy, you know, that you're never going to play for me again, no matter how hard you try to get back uh, and expect a non-rebuttal, <laughs> you know, that isn't a little bit controversial. And something that you're not going to be liking, you know, to hear. Um, when they write the, the the book about the St. Louis Rams, there will probably be a chapter in there where Kyle and Mike, I'll never forget because you were doing our Fox 2 pregame show. I wasn't there that Sunday. Maybe I was on the road and Rob Desir was hosting and they play the clip of Mike that week. And he just says, I don't know where Kyle is. Haven't seen him, have no clue. And then you're like, dude, I've been right here. And then it led to, the Monday night where you were in his office and you guys had a big exchange. And I think he said, you're not going to be here next year. And you said, well, maybe you won't either or something. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, uh, got into it. And well, it was only because the, you know, Jay Zygmunt wouldn't come with me to go talk to him and, to clean and it then, up. Yeah. you know, he was able to call and make up a big old story. I tried to kill him or something like, really, there'd be a sign of a struggle in that office. I'd <laughs> 
I forgot I tried about to do that, that part. Oh my gosh. Would you ever write a book? Do you ever think about it? Um, yeah, I've thought about it. Sure. Um, you know, my stuff's in my music, you know, I went into music after and you know, moving to Nashville. And so I just tell people go buy my records. Uh, I, you can, you can listen to my songs and know everything that's happened in my life, period. And I don't, you know, I, I could write a book and maybe one day I will, but what for, you know, I mean, if you can't really express to people, uh, in your feeling, you know, what it is. I don't know how they can read that um, and, and, and get that. So, you know, and, and it's personal. Yeah. I've had guys that try to write books with and they, they just don't get it, you know? So I'd have to sit down and really write it myself. <laughs> yeah, you are, you know really... what? The, the, the answer is I've answered my own question here. You are an open book. There's no need to write it. You are. That's right. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody can agree to that. Hey, I've not hit anything from anybody. It's always always fun to catch up. Next time we'll break down the game of the week or something, but I probably won't do that with you, so it's fine. Hey, man, I'm ready. I always follow it. You know, football's my life. Uh, you know, maybe they'll do a football story, um, you know, one day, and, and that'll be where everybody gets to see it. Uh, they've done their best, though, <laughs> to extract me from the game. It's pretty funny, man. It's like I didn't even exist uh, to the Rams, to the Saints, you know, Chiefs. I was two years of me struggling. But those those people actually have, uh, you know, been the most accommodating team, you know, that, that supports me. Uh, I'm not on one uh, team for the Saints uh, over history anymore. Um, or I think the Rams, they've completely extracted me. It's hilarious. Well, keep fighting the fight. You know, always will, brother. At the end of the day, it's the last man standing. Well, I got to tell you, if if you're sitting at the bar and Kyle Turley walks in, you could sit and talk to him about anything. You want to talk about music? He backed a band for a while, then he started recording some music. We never even got into his musical career or interest. Time at San Diego State. I'd forgotten about that, that he and Marshall Fox sort of overlap briefly. And then got to St. Louis, wanted to block for Marshall. And then Steven Jackson comes along at some point. Uh, so many different topics, so many things you can talk to Kyle about. Don't have to agree with everything he says, but, man, he is convicted in all of his beliefs. The Kilcoin Conversation, always available on Spotify, iTunes, and scoopswithdannymack.com, the great Cardinal Broadcaster website, scoopswithdannymack.com. We always appreciate you supporting our sponsors, which include Triad Bank, Appliance Discounters, Marie de Villa, Senior Living, and B&G Tuck Point. Make sure when you do business with them, you tell them you've heard Martin talking about them for years. Thanks for checking out this segment. We'll talk to you again soon.